Amen. Thank you, Christine. Let's uh, open our Bibles together to Psalm 148. Psalm 148. We're looking at the Hallelujah Psalms, the last five Psalms in the Psalter, which are called the Hallelujah Psalms because they all begin and end in the same way. Hallelujah or praise the Lord. And we're on Psalm 148 today. It's page 633 in your pew Bibles. Psalm 148, page 633. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're the God who has always been pleased to speak to his people. We thank you for the gift of your words. We thank you for the opportunity that we have in this time, in this place, to quieten our hearts, to still ourselves in your presence, to humble ourselves before you, and to listen to what you would say to us. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. He has his head in the clouds, that one. She's so heavenly minded that she's no earthly use. I wonder if you've ever heard someone speak like 
that the world that we live in, the society that we live in, doesn't really value people who spend a lot of time thinking about or speaking about heaven. Sometimes that can be true in our churches as well as in our communities. It seems like a weird way to waste time. And there are so many normal ways, so many sensible ways to waste time. We can run about with our smartphones trying to catch wee digital imaginary figures or we can get addicted to some television box set. There are so many ways to waste time. Why would we choose to think or to speak about heaven? And yet the Bible encourages us, exhorts us to think about heaven Often, we fix our eyes, says the Apostle Paul, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, and what is unseen is eternal. The Bible tells us that the real problem is that most people are so earthly-minded that they are no heavenly use rather than the other way around. And that's what we ought to fear, and that's what we ought to fight. And that's one of the reasons that we gather together, is it not? So that we can remind ourselves of the eternal realities that we believe in, that we rejoice in. So that we can look to heaven, so that we can look to eternity, and we can ask ourselves the question, does my life make sense when I look at those great eternal realities. That's where the psalmist starts in uh, Psalm 148. He lifts his eyes beyond the hills and to the heavens. He looks up and he sees the clouds and the stars and the sun and he says there's something even higher. There's something beyond even them, higher than the stars, brighter than the sun. They're pointing beyond themselves to a greater and more glorious reality. And that perfect place to which they point is a place above all else of praise. Place of praise. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Heaven is a place of praise. We need to rid our minds of the pictures we often get of heaven. It's not some vague, ethereal, floaty place, you know, where there's just these kind of angels floating around quietly strumming in harps and nothing's concrete, nothing's real. It's all very quiet and hard to grasp. That's not heaven. And neither is heaven the kind of best tailor-made package holiday ever where you just get exactly what you like all the time. My heaven will be chocolate ice cream on tap. My heaven will be Airdrie winning every week. That's not heaven. There is mystery But there are things that we absolutely know about heaven. There are things that the Lord has revealed to us about heaven. Language struggles to describe the indescribable, but there are things we can say with absolute certainty. 
We know that God is there, and we know that in God's presence there is wonder, and there is awe, and there is glory, and there is joy, and so there is praise. In His presence there is praise, and so as we praise Him now, as we gather together and the musicians lead us and we sing these wonderful songs, we in a very real sense join with the angels in heaven. We do something that has eternal significance. And we fulfill the purpose that God has for us. We do now that which we will do forever. For all eternity we will praise him. And we will never get bored. Isn't that a thought? We get bored so easily. I can remember when I was a boy. I'm not sure what age I would have been. But... um, he-Man was one of the cartoons on television and I wanted a Castle Grayskull and I nagged my mum over and over and over and over again to get this Castle Grayskull that of course everyone else had, all my friends have it. I kept going on and on and on and eventually one Christmas I think it was, maybe on a birthday, my mum got me this Castle Grayskull and I just thought this was the best thing ever. I thought my life would never be the same again. I've arrived. I've made it. I love it. I'm captivated by it. And I was for, you know, a week to ten days maybe. And then Castle Grayskull found its way into the box with all of my other toys rarely to see the light of day again. We have an amazing capacity to get bored of things, don't we? Not just as children, but as adults too. We've more grown-up toys, but we think if I could only get this, if I could only get that, if I could only achieve or attain this goal, this target, if I could get this gadget, this car, this house, then I would be happy, then I would be satisfied. And we are for a time, and then we're bored. And we're looking for the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. Not just stuff. Hobbies, careers, relationships. We have an amazing capacity to get bored and to take things for granted. We will praise Him for all eternity in heaven and we will never bore of God. Not for a single second in the sea of forever will we bore or tire of God there will be more and more discoveries that will cause us to praise Him for all eternity. It will get better and better forever. How is that possible? I don't know. I can't really get my head around it. All I can say is that God is infinitely glorious. Infinitely glorious. Beyond anything we could ever imagine. And there will always be more to amaze us. Puritan preacher John Flavel said the knowledge of God, sorry, the knowledge of Christ is a boundless, bottomless ocean. No creature has a line long enough to fathom the depth of it. The knowledge of Christ is a boundless, bottomless ocean. No creature has a line long enough to fathom the depth of it. We'll never exhaust 
the majesty and the wonder and the glories of the triune God. So this psalm, there are basically three appeals as far as I can see in the psalm. I've forgotten my clicky thing, Paul, sorry, so you'll have to rescue me. Three appeals, that's the outline for the psalm and that's the structure for the sermon. The first appeal is heaven, praise the Lord. Heaven, praise the Lord. It's interesting that the psalmist commands heaven and the heavenly host and the angels above to do that which they will do anyway. It's not as if it's in doubt. It's not as if the angels are twiddling their thumbs and they're not really sure what to do. And then the psalmist sings, uh, you know, praise him, all ye angels. And then they think, oh, that's what I should do. They will be praising him. But the psalmist wants to affirm that it's good and that it's right and that it's fitting that the heavens are praising him, that the angels are praising him. He wants to rejoice in the fact that the heavenly host are blessing his name. And so he looks up and he says, yes, angels praise him. Yes, heavenly host bow before him and declare him your God. Heaven, praise the Lord. Secondly, earth, praise the Lord. Verses 7 to 10. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and ocean depths. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds. How, how can an apple tree praise the Lord? Is this just a kind of Hebraic way of thinking? Is the psalmist just getting carried away in his love for the Lord? Is it just kind of poetic, artistic license? Is it for effect? Is it like, do you remember when Jesus uh, journeyed towards Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and people are waving their palm branches and crying out these great messianic declarations and the Pharisees aren't happy and they tell Jesus to tell them to be quiet? And he says, if they were silent, even the rocks, even the stones would cry out. But we should remember when we read the Psalms that we are reading poetry. And so we should read the Psalms differently from how we read a letter or a historical document or a scientific textbook. But there is a very real sense in which the wind and the waves, the birds... And the bugs, the tall trees and the tiny plants do uh, praise the Lord when they do what God has created them to do, what he commands them to do. There is a sense in which they are giving glory to God by fulfilling their God-given purpose. God is honoured in that. There is a sense in which they praise and a sense in which they preach. And as they preach, they praise Paul says in Romans 1, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. David, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work 
of his hands. They are preaching and they are praising as they do what God has commanded them to do. And may the Lord open our eyes by the work of his Holy Spirit to see, to see the beauty of the world, but through that to see, to glimpse something of the beauty and the glory of the God who spoke the world into existence. He commanded and they were created. Katie got this wee thing. I meant to bring it, but I forgot, unfortunately. It's a, a, a wee thing out of uh, Kelvin Grove uh, Art Gallery and Museum gift shop. It's about that size. You turn it one way and it's a telescope and you pull a wee bit off and turn it the other way and it's a microscope. And uh, she is fascinated by this. I wonder if you've ever seen a leaf or even a grain of sand under a very powerful microscope. Or have you seen the stars through a very powerful telescope? I know some of you certainly have. Beautiful. Take your breath away. Even a grain of sand under a powerful microscope would take your breath away. And they point beyond themselves to God, to his goodness and to his godness, or as Paul puts it, to his eternal power and his divine nature. When we discover the laws of physics and biology, we ought to be filled with fresh wonder. Theology used to be known as the, uh, the queen of the sciences. We live in a world which would tell us that science and theology or science and faith are opposed to one another. Not so. The more we learn about how this world works, the more we ought to be amazed and in wonder at how glorious God is. A friend of mine has a member in his church who worked on the large Hadron Collider, I believe that's its name, the God Particle Machine and he said that looking for an atheist within that group of scientists was like looking for a needle in a haystack. And I must admit I was surprised when my friend told me this, but I shouldn't have been. That's exactly as it should be. The more they see, the more they understand how the world works, how the universe works, how things hold together, the more it ought to point to God. It's exactly as it should be. Whether we use a microscope or a telescope or a hadron collider or whether we just walk out and open our eyes and look around and look above, we ought to see something. We ought to glimpse something of the glory of God. Max Licado. Nature is God's workshop. The sky is his CV. The universe is his calling card. You want to know who God is? See what he has done. You want to know his power? Take a look at his creation. He is untainted by the atmosphere of sin, unbridled by the timeline of history, unhindered by the weariness of the body. What controls you does not control him. What troubles you does not trouble him. What fatigues you does not fatigue him. 
Is an ego disturbed by traffic? No. He rises above it. Is the whale perturbed by a hurricane? Of course not. He plunges beneath it. Is the lion flustered by the mouse standing directly in his way? No, he steps over it. How much more is God able to soar above, plunge beneath, and step over the troubles of the earth? He is the one who stands apart from all else. He is transcendent, and yet he is the God who is with us in all that we face. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're fearing, if you are in Christ, then He is with you and He is for you forever. This is what, says Isaiah, this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with Him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. This is God. Heavens praise Him, earth praise Him, and lastly, all peoples praise Him. That's our third and final point. Psalm 148, verses 11 to 14. Kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. People are to praise him. In some ways, we are just like the world that he has made. He commanded and they were created. That's true for us as well, isn't it? We are not just the product of our parents' decision and a billion coincidences that happened before that. No, he commanded and we were created. Our lives are a gift from God himself. He commanded and we were created. In that sense, we are the same as the birds of the sky, the beasts of the earth, the stars and the sun, but unlike them, we were created in the image and the likeness of the Lord himself. We think, we reason, we speak, we sing, we love. And so we can intelligently praise God. We can't fully understand God, but we can truly understand God. We can truly know God. We can worship Him in spirit and in truth. We are to praise Him. We are to use our minds. We are to look to how He has revealed Himself, who He has revealed Himself to be, and to turn that back to him in praise. People are to praise him. All peoples are to praise him. Kings and all nations. No one is so high that they need not bow before him. No matter how many they rule over. No matter what their title. No matter how many letters they have before their name or after their name. All people are to praise him. All people are to bow before him. He is above all. Both sexes. All ages. He is worthy of our praise. If you're from the east or the west, the north, the south, you're rich, you're poor, all peoples, no exceptions, no exemptions, and no excuses. All people are to praise him. Kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. All people owe him praise. And no people can know life in all of its fullness unless they have given 
their lives to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is above all, finally, and yet he is with us. We can't climb up to him in a mountain of good works. He is too high, he is too holy. We can't climb up to him, but he has come down to us in love. He has come down to us in Jesus. He has lived that perfect, sinless, spotless, pure life in our place. He died a sinner's death on the cross in our place, as we've been singing about. He was raised on the third day, ascended, glorified. He's seated in the Father's right hand, and he lives to intercede. He lives to pray for us. And all who turn from their sin, no matter who we are, or what we've done, or where we've been, or how we've got our lives bound up and entangled in all sorts of rubbish, no matter who we are, we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus Christ. If we acknowledge Him as our Lord and our Savior, we will know God's care and God's keeping. He has raised up for His people a horn, the praise of all His saints of Israel, the people close to His heart, the people close to his heart. Katie and Grace, when they're faced with something scary, will instinctively turn to me. And Katie, uh, Grace rather, is at the clinging onto my leg stage, as you may have seen occasionally in the church. So she sees something which frightens her, which admittedly isn't often because she's no sense of danger whatsoever. But if she sees something that frightens her, she'll run, she'll cling onto my leg, and that's the sign that I have to pick her up and hold her and she'll curry into my arms and feel safe. She has that, this picture, obviously, of her dad as someone who is strong enough to protect her from whatever it is that's frightening her. She sees me as strong, as foolish as that may seem to us. She sees me as strong, and yet she doesn't fear that strength. She knows that I'll use that strength to shield her, to guard her, to protect her because I care for her. I love her as her father. And the same is true for us who are God's children. No one is more strong than him. He is almighty God. And yet we don't fear his power in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because our sins have been washed away, cast as far as east as from the west. There is now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And so when we see something that frightens us, something which we think would overwhelm us, we instinctively ought to turn and run to the Lord. He is our rock and our refuge. He loves us. He cares for us. We are close to his heart. And so he will be pleased to wrap his arms around us in love. Where is God? He is in heaven, yes, but he is also with his people. Where are we? We are close to his heart. And because of Jesus, that's where we always will be found. Praise the Lord indeed. Praise him, you heavens and all that's above. Praise him, you angels and heavenly hosts. Let the whole earth praise him. Praise him, the sun, moon, and bright shining stars. Praise him, you heavens and waters and skies. Let the whole earth praise him. Great in power, great in glory. Great in mercy, King of heaven. Let's stand together as we sing our closing hymn.